Hi everyone, welcome to Mobile Minutes episode 2. Uh, I'm with Eric Suffert and uh, I'm Ariel. We're going to talk today about hyper-viral games, uh, kind of a new type of game we've been we've seen popping up the app stores uh, during the past months and that are becoming incredibly popular. Eric, just to start off, I mean, looking at the app store, I mean, there's a lot of those. L- let's try to, to qualify what are those games, what, what they are, what they do. I mean, they all have a common, common traits, right? Yeah, I would say, you know, to my mind, I would define like a hyper viral game as something that sort of like explodes in popularity um, to the point where it hits top 10 downloaded in multiple big uh, important markets um, in, in the App Store and Google Play. Uh, like that to me is hyper viral means hitting that top 10 downloaded position. Yeah, I see a few of those. So I'm just looking at the App Store. We are April 7th today. And so I see a stack. I see a color switch. I see rumbles and a few more. And they all have a common kind of denominator in terms of how they build. Like they are extremely simple. They're very simple game mechanics. They have kind of a one tap kind of progression mode. And they are the 180 degrees of, of traditional big advanced game, like the one that we see in the top grossings, right? Yeah, exactly. I, I actually I gave a presentation at, at GDC Europe where I kind of made this point that I think with Crossy Road specifically, we saw that mobile gaming had kind of stratified into this multi-segment market based not on the content of the game or the sort of economy of the game, but actually on the marketing approach, right? And so you're exactly right that these hyper-viral apps are sort of designed to be that way. They're designed to be very sort of thin, um, you know, lack depth, and be very, very sort of like easily understandable from a screenshot. Whereas, you know, the Clash of Clans and, and the games with like the really deep economies aren't like that. Yep, and um, they all have common denominators. Like, they have very simple icon, they have a very basic name, Right, like color switch, you know, stack, you know, twist, whatever, and um, you open them, you immediately understand what you have to do. You don't need a tutorial, or it's extremely lightweight, and um, they are based mostly on the fact they're going to frustrate you very quickly, and they're going to make you addicted to the game mechanics in a fraction of a second. Right? Yeah, I, I mean, I, I think that's a big part of it, right? And I think you know, if if to me the the sort of watershed moment in this phenomenon was Flappy Bird. Um, and I, I think that kind of defines that that frustration mechanic, right? Like this thing that you play only because you almost want to spite the game developer and like prove him wrong. Like, see, I can do this. Um, and actually, interestingly, with Flappy Bird, I mean, I think that was, that was kind of the first big viral hit or the viral phenomenon that um, the app kind of economy experienced. And I remember at the time, there were a lot of people saying like this is only possible because the developer is paying, uh, you know, these bot farms to install the game. And I remember that you and I were were two of the people kind of um, on Twitter and and in the sort of um, growth mailing list saying, no, no, I don't think this is bots. I think this is just a really, really viral game. I don't know if do you remember that. Yep, I remember that. 
Now, um, th these games build sharing mechanisms that are extremely obvious and, and placed in, in, you know, the best moments where you're either achieving something or you're reaching certain score. So the way they are designed in their flow is like you, you tap a few taps and then you get a score and then you share. And if you look at Twitter and Facebook, the, the flow of, of publication uh, about a specific title is insane. Like it's like a, a tweet per minute. So this is helping, and I remember specifically Flappy Bird did that. You know, others, others after that too. We're going to talk about these others because there are so many. But but it's the, the frustration and kind of the, the 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 proof that you can achieve something on something so simple is part of the identity of those games. And a, the it's kind of the 180 degrees of of the sophisticated game where you have to really really have a strong skill. Uh, and a sophisticated skill to reach something. I think you're right. I think that achievement mechanic is is also like a shared attribute of all these um, of all these games. And what's funny, I mean, I I don't, I don't want to harp too much on Flappy Bird, but I think it's you know, ironically, they they I think that game like backed into the achievement mechanic um, uh, prototype by accident, right? Because they didn't actually have anything you could click on. To, to share, if I remember correctly, but what happened was people would take screenshots um, when they finally did die and hit X level, and they would share those. Like It was actually like a really painful process. You had to screenshot and then open up Facebook or Twitter or whatever and then share that. It wasn't really easy, but, but it was just it – was, it was such an achievement, right? It was, it was so like momentous when you hit like level 100 or whatever that people went through that whole process. It was, and then um, – so that was Flappy Bird, and then there was – 2048. Do you remember this game? Yeah, 2048. Um, so I can't actually remember. Was that the one that was accused of copying threes, or was it the other way around? Threes was accused of copying 2048. It's the opposite way. So, so there was threes. That was a paid game. And by the way, we forgot to mention all these uh, viral games are all free, and we talk about their business model after. But, but three was a paid game, and then came on the web. Uh, um, an open source version uh, of what was called 2048 and then a studio an app studio made an, a native version of 2048 a, a studio called Ketchup which is now one of the biggest game publisher of that nature and that was and, and that became a, a major hit in the app store and, and the and I don't know how many downloads they got out of it but it's it's in the tens of millions maybe more Right, yeah, I mean, I guess that's the, the major vulnerability, right, with these viral apps. I mean, on the plus side, the simplicity makes them really easy to, to, to sort of be shared and become viral. But on the downside, they're pretty easy to replicate, right? And if, if you are not the one that breaches that sort of popular consciousness, somebody else might come along and just slightly tweak the color scheme or the aesthetics or whatever, and they might be the one. And that's exactly what happened with uh, 2048, Ketchup managed to 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 get the the you know the, the, the big part of the cake with that game. But then uh, what happened after that is that they managed to kind of industrialize the process of building this type of game, right? Building some sort of templates. I don't know if they did it consciously or not, but they built kind of the mechanics that they would they would be reusing with all of all the titles that they published after that, like, you know, um, the, the sharing mechanisms, the type of leaderboards that they were publishing, the kind of replay mechanisms, all the elements that you find in this, in this game and some of the game mechanics also that are using over and over again in different titles. 
and built kind of this identity and portfolio of, of games across the board. And a few other studios uh, did that too. Uh, I don't have the, all the names right now, but I I know that, you know, Bulky Peaks has been doing kind of the same and a few others too. So 2048 for me was kind of the next uh, the next one that uh, that managed to do that. Yeah, I, and I think I actually, I'm actually really, really impressed with Catch App. Because, uh, I mean, I think it's really easy to look at any one of their games and kind of think, okay, this is super simplistic. I mean, this this isn't that impressive graphically. But if you look at the business they've built, I mean, they are one of the most strategic operators in the app ecosystem in terms of cross-promotion. And what they've done is they've created um, this basically assembly line of apps. They launch a new app every week. And, you know, just given the types of apps they make, some of them blow up into these huge viral hits. Um, and when that happens, they then cross-promote all that free traffic into the rest of their portfolio. And they've built this really huge business just on the, on the back of viral apps that cross-promote uh, into their portfolio and then add monetization. So that's true. Uh, a huge part of the, of the success of, of these viral titles, and this is for Ketchup, it's true for others, is that it's not just the game itself that makes the virality. It's also how the, the way they cross-promote it and they have developed their own stack of how to do that, at which moment you do that, how to display it. It's actually very simple. It's, usually it's an overlay saying, hey, we've got this new title, go, go figure it out. And because they've now this wide range of highly popular titles, 2048 and others, they can accelerate the visibility of those titles in the top ranks, and then it it, it goes even further, right? So, so there is this part of cross promotion, which is a huge part of the, of the of the. It's not the only part, but a huge part of the success of those of those titles. Something that other game developers cannot match. Yeah, I mean, it's 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 they can't match it because um, you know. They're not building those types of games, A, that, that just become huge viral hits, and B, I mean, it'd be really tough to create a portfolio that broad and, and diverse, right? Actually, I wrote an article about this. It, it, I did, like, it's called Catch App, a case study in cross-promotion, and just, just the nature of the, the portfolio they have lends itself to being able to, to satisfy any player's needs or any 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 player's tastes in games because they have this huge portfolio of games and it's like any type of game that you like to play given that it's sort of like a very simple clicker or something you could find in their portfolio and they could satisfy that entertainment need like on the spot uh, i think i mean it's kind of like the master stroke to me of, of 2015 in terms of like just business strategy in the app economy that's true. Um, I know a little bit those those two guys. By the way, very impressive guys. Uh, they are extremely focused. They are um, a very small team actually, um, and you know it pales in comparison to the big studios, which must be jealous of their efficiency. Uh, but sometimes it's just a one man show, right? I, I see, I've seen a, a few titles. So you have other studios like Boombeat, um, and you have. Like if you take this game right now, that's number twenty in the App Store, Round Balls. Okay, is just one guy called Josiah Jenkins, um, and it's they all they all look 
like they've been designed by someone by the same guy um, actually to be clear um, many times those app developers often become publishers after a while because they've got all this inventory already from one of two titles and they are able to push other titles so sometimes they will claim it's it's done by them but actually it's not right because the app store only presents one name but you if you look carefully they are they are often publishers so bulky picks publish other game studios and ketchup does that very consistently, etc., etc., and and so it's also part of their model, right? They're not just app developers; they're also um, game publishers, you know, or you know, indie game publishers, I would say. And it's 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 becoming kind of an alternative distribution channel for game developers, right? We all know you can either pay that, get get you know pay for ads or get featured by Apple, but now you can get featured by those game publishers and and get popularity. Very quickly, uh, did you observe that also? Yeah, of course. I mean, it, it, it makes total sense. So, I mean, I think that's that's kind of the the aspiration, right, of any kind of game developer. I mean, because if you think about, you know, what do you do when you have a viral hit, right? I mean, you know, the, the nature of a viral hit is that it's it's not that viral for for long, right? So, I mean, it explodes in popularity in terms of new downloads, and that explosion tapers off within. You know, generally, maybe let's say two weeks, three weeks. I mean, if it's a huge viral hit, like a phenomenon, like Flappy Bird, it might, it might last for a couple of months. But once the DNU drops and you've got this user base of people, what do you do? I mean, if you want to make a new game, even if you're a one-man studio and you're making these really simple games, it's going to take a month. I mean, what do you do in the meantime? If you if you really need to keep these people and make sure that you know you don't just lose that sort of, I, I hate to simplify this down to monetary terms but you don't just lose that revenue source what do you do well then you publish exactly and, and because those the lifetime of those titles i mean you, of course you're frustrated and after a while you get bored so you want to you know you abandon the game after a while i mean the lifetime of those titles is short right i would say no more than a month and i don't think there is any title maybe 2048 flappy bird were exceptions but that lasted a lot more than that and so, so you have in your DNA to be able to say, all right, I'm going to build a hit, but I'm going to have to build even more importantly the the the, uh, the capacity to build those hits consistently and kind of industrialize that. So, so you cannot do that by yourself only, and that's why they have to transform at some point to uh, to publishers. So I guess here the model is like they're going to share revenue with them and. And, and their business model is, in, is interesting. Actually, it's very simple too. Like everything is simple in this business, uh, except that <laughs> except that you have to, to put that in practice. But there there are free titles, right? They're all free. They're not paid, and um, they reach high scale volume and they put high scale ad networks, and that's it. And they make money out of advertising with uh, Google ad um, Google ad mob and and Facebook ads, maybe a few others. And, and that's it. And there is some in-app purchase to remove ads, but that's a, a tiny chunk of, of the revenues. Their, their business model is extremely simple. Yeah, and ad networks actually really love being implemented in these types of games. Um, and it's for actually a really, it's, it's for an interesting reason. Um, and that is that these games tend to be able to reach new players, right? Players that aren't playing the kind of usual suspect, big, free-to-play games, but actually players that maybe don't play any games, right? Because generally the way that these games um, grow is through word of mouth, right? So people that are people are hearing about these games that potentially aren't reachable via in-game ads. And so when when ad networks implement get their SDKs implemented into these big viral hits, they're then able to have their 
publishers um, advertised in to, uh, to, to players that they can't otherwise advertise to. And so these these viral hit games are actually like a really really valuable source of inventory to the ad networks and to the to the publishers to the to the companies that are advertising. Do you have any idea how much money a hit title can make like over a month? Most of these titles monetize exclusively through advertising. The, the, the amounts of money that they make, I mean, I, I would imagine that if you had a, a hit game, you'd expect that to make potentially $5 million dollars a month in advertising, just in advertising, no IAPs at all. Yeah, I think it's the, in, the, in the single digit millions of dollars too. Like if, you, if it's major, major hit across um, many countries like Color Switch right now, I think is, is in the range of that, um, you know, stack maybe two. That's insane because you know usually we're talking about small teams, so it's highly, very highly profitable. So it's it's a it's a great business. Apparently, it's not just ad networks who like it. Also, uh, Apple like them too. They very often feature uh, those studios actually to a point where it seems even unfair. Like uh, some of them are featured every week or every two weeks, and and you know other game developers have paid attention. <laughs> So, so and, you know, the, the publishing model makes it that they have always something to say. So Apple really likes it and they like the fact that they have something popular or potentially popular to highlight. It's the same on Apple TV. I think Google is doing a little less, but still doing it also. And it's kind of a virtuous cycle, right? So the, 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 the game is kind of templated. The mechanics are is kind of templated. The variety is kind of templated. The distribution is kind of templated. And the featuring process and the business model are are kind of templated um, and, and it looks like it's not going to end right it's, not, it's going to go on and go on until someone buys them or something yeah I mean I it's always funny to me when when you know developers say oh it's it's unfair that you know these viral apps get get featured and to me it's it's kind of like well I mean wake up you know what I mean like the <laughs> Apple features what they think is best for their ecosystem right so if you see what they're featuring you should start making that kind of game I mean Apple doesn't act sort of like irrationally. They they do what's best for their sort of customer base, and and if that's what they've deemed is best, right, for the iPhone owning public, then then that's what potentially that's probably what you should be making. I think a lot of developers have paid attention. I mean, you, you see now the some of those of those games popping up, um, you know, several times a week, and and they are they are they're reaching high ranks in the stores and high volumes of downloads and and good you know good ratings too. So I think like it's going to be an accelerated trend, and large game developers should pay attention too. Maybe they have to to think that this is a category they should address. Yeah, and I think it also plays into the larger sort of portfolio strategy of any developer, right? So I mean, if you think about you know this. If, like I said, I mean, if you think about this market segment as actually being more of a marketing strategy than sort of a game type, um, or if that's the reason why you pursue it, right? So if I make this game to be viral because it could be viral, then potentially that's the way you gather users for the game that has the full free-to-play economy um, that is more difficult to market, right? And so, I mean, if you think about really strategically how do you manage your portfolio, building these lightweight you know, one-dimensional viral games is a really good way to gather a bunch of users and then transport them into your, uh, you know, deeper gameplay games. On the other side, I, I don't think respecting the recipe 
you know, à la lettre, as we say in French, is not something that guarantees you any success. I know, and because I observe that carefully, that many of those titles don't make it at all. Even some from ketchup, right? You know, even if you have the the reach that they have, not not it's not always a success because sometimes it's just not original enough, or sometimes it's just too repetitive enough. It's too repetitive, or sometimes it just doesn't cut it. People people don't like it. The game mechanics are absolutely too frustrating, uh, or Or it's just that it, it's not attractive enough. So it's it's you know it's, it's now becoming a very competitive category. It's not just like the the new golden age for apps. It's something to look at. It's not necessarily something you're going to succeed at every time at every shot. Yeah, yeah, of course. I mean, I think you know there's that spectrum, right? There's the spectrum of depth and like that the the sort of catch up games would be on the total extreme of of the sort of depth spectrum. And then the game of war would be on the other extreme, right? Like the extreme, you know, the really, really, really deep gameplay. And it's, it's basically a, a, a spreadsheet with a graphical interface, right? And, and so I think that portfolio management aspect is, is more about balancing, you know, the, the different types of games you have across that spectrum. Because, you know, on the game of war side of the spectrum, um, marketing costs are really high, right? Because it's really, really tough to actually communicate what the game's about and you know there's a like high rate of immediate churn because people don't like it or whatever and then on the other side of the spectrum these games are so broad that anybody could pick it up and really have a good time so you have the game of war games on you know the the extreme depth side of the spectrum and then you have the crossy road catch-up games on the other side of the spectrum and i think you know the the the, the sort of strategy aspect of portfolio management is is figuring out where in this sort of like, you know, multitude of games that you own, where where, do, where does each fall on the spectrum? Because, you know, on one side, actually marketing costs are going to be lower because these games are more broadly applicable and, and broadly appealing. And, and um, they're just generally more clickable when you, when you, you know, think about ads. Um, and so it's easier to get people into the ecosystem that way. And then the other side, they monetize better. One way to look at it is to think about who is using this type of games, who are they popular with. And uh, to me, I mean, I don't have the exact, the exact data because I think no one has it, and not even the developers. But I would say that intuitively those games are appealing to very young audience, those who are not able to, uh, of course, uh, you know, pay for apps or spend too much on in-app advertising, on in-app, sorry, uh, uh, purchase. And um, it's it's a reminder that you know when you see the popularity of those titles that kids really own the app store. There's such a high volume of users who are very young who don't have a credit card or, or, or a way to buy content that are able to drive so much downloads, especially if they are following some influencers who drive them or push them to, to download some type of apps. And when you think about that type of audience, um, game developers should think that those are a huge chunk of the population and not everyone is able to buy content. Yeah, and I think that that ties into what we talked about last week with, with Snapchat, where, you know, having a, a product that appeals to younger audiences uh, is aspirational, right? And so I think if you see that, you know, the, you know you're, you, a generation below or two generations below you is, has adopted something sort of en masse, um, you, want to, you want to use that product because it'll make you look cool and hip. And I think that might be how a lot of these apps propagate, like the, a sort of a younger generation who are sort of uh, more susceptible to viral apps because, you know, they're with people like them all the time in a social setting, which is like high school or whatever, um, just school in general. 
um, the, the, the app becomes viral amongst them. And then the sort of, it sort of propagates upward in terms of age. This audience is not going to disappear anytime soon. Kids have more and more kind of, you know, iPod touch or even phones early. And so they want phone, they want apps or games to spend time on. So I don't think this is going to disappear anytime soon. soon. And um, it's probably a category that's going to grow over time rather than just stagnate or even disappear. Um, the challenge is that once you've used all these game mechanics and you've played them all, it's, they're very limited. Like, you know, how many games can you invent of that nature? I mean, the, the stack of image of creativity on in this in this category is not infinite so maybe at some point they will have to look at licensing deals or maybe putting brands on it to make it a little more original i don't think you can do a flappy bird forever you see what i mean yeah of course i mean there's there's just a limit and i i i think you know like you said it, it, the burnout rate on these apps is so is so sort of fast i mean pe people aren't going to play you know These, these these games have like a, li a very limited lifetime, and so there's there's um, you just have to sort of like constantly churn out new ideas, new 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 sort of realizations of these kind of um, frustration mechanics. But I, I kind of want to go back to the point you made before about how these are great businesses because if you do have an app that takes off, you're talking about maybe single digit million dollars in the first month, and then it, it you know it drops off very quickly from there. But generally, these are really small teams, right? And what I also think is kind of significant here is that you're not seeing a lot of these apps being made by Silicon Valley companies, right? You're seeing the, the, the majority, I think, of these apps are coming from, from outside of Silicon Valley, right? I mean, I think if you look back at like the, the big major viral phenomena of 2015, you have maybe Dub Smash, uh, Trivia Crack, um, which was made in 2014, but it became really popular in 2015. You have Crossy Road, and you have the big bulk of the Ketchup portfolio. All of those companies are outside of Silicon Valley. Um, and I think, you know, it, 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 it kind of proves out that the, the, the App Store is this, this sort of like a worldwide marketplace. It's not dominated by Silicon Valley companies. And, and actually, if you think about games, even beyond the viral segment, There aren't really that many big, huge, successful gaming companies in Silicon Valley. It's true. I mean, the, you know, Flappy Bird was made in Vietnam, Ketchup are French guys, and uh, many of those young, young guys were uh, indie developers. Bulky Pix is French, um, and, you know, they are, they are, they are not in Silicon Valley. And, um, you know, there's a, maybe a reason for that is because, you know, when you go to extreme simplicity, you cannot find that in, in Silicon Valley. Silicon Valley likes to do sophisticated things that, you know, change the world. Um, this is not the type of things that could, could start out of here it's 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 not the dna of the region but nonetheless it's still very very popular and i think it's still something to to observe for for the years to come it's interesting to see that like some of the bigger developers are starting to move into this direction right i mean you mentioned zynga they made that um i can't remember what it's called but it was like a goat a goat climbing a mountain uh do you remember that game so there are you know this is becoming like a, 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 an app genre Um, or like, let's call it a gameplay genre that as the bigger developers even are moving into because, I mean, I think they see the opportunity probably for that portfolio management aspect that I talked about earlier, but just, just even to sort of like try to catch lightning in a bottle. Because even if you can do it once, that could be a big, you know, single-digit million-dollar boost to, uh, to your income statement for, for that year. 
Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised that they, they try to buy one of those guys uh, in the coming future if they are willing to sell. I'm not even sure. I mean, when you have such a profitable business who wants to sell, I mean, it's better to get dividends rather than kind of a <laughs> the getting big part of a big company. I don't know what hap- what's going to happen with your money. Uh, but 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 yeah, it, it's true. I think, you know, all the big studios are going to get into it. I think Electronic Arts will get into it. I think SGN will get into it. I think others will get into it. It's, it's just a, a matter of time. Time. And and maybe also applying licensing deals. I wouldn't be surprised that you know big brands, big studios, Hollywood company, Hollywood studios, and 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 others try to apply their branding to to some of those titles because um, you know Disney and others are always looking for original ways to reach their audience when they push out a movie or um, an artist or something like that. Absolutely. Anyway, on those good uh, words, uh, we're going to call it a day and um, talk next week again. See you next week. Bye, Rick.